0: Good morning. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter four. We continue our study through the book of Acts. We're going to be picking up in verse 23. Acts chapter four, verse 23. If you're there, say amen. All right, let's read. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his and his Christ. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, uh, as we've been in this section of Acts, it's chapters 3 and chapters 4 are all one telling of of one story of what had happened in the early church. It's one account that had happened to Peter, the Apostle Peter and John. They were heading to the temple... Kind of a normal day in the life of the apostles. They were heading to the temple at the hour to pray, and uh, there was a man there who had been lame uh, from birth. We we're told that he went there to uh, to ask for alms, to ask for donations. And when Peter and John saw them, saw him, or when he saw Peter and John, they asked. He asked them for those alms, and, and Peter and John looked at him. And it says that, hey, we don't have anything to give you, silver and gold. We don't have But in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And so the man who was healed begins to walk and leap and and praise God while entering into the temple. And to say the least, that drew a crowd, especially when people recognized who the man was. He was the one who was, well, used to be at the gate begging And so Peter, seeing this crowd, he begins to teach them. He begins to preach Jesus resurrected from the dead. And he begins to call those who are listening to repentance, to receive Jesus as the Messiah whom they crucified. And so the crowd forming, we have the temple authorities going, what's going on here? You know, why is this group forming? And they go over there and they hear Peter and John proclaiming these things. And so they arrest them. It was the evening, and they couldn't try them, so they put, they detained them, put them uh, in the jail for the night, and um, or under guard for the night. And and in the morning, they pulled them before the elders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, the seventy peop, uh the seventy uh, leaders. that were rulers, leaders, and elders of the community. Those who looked after the temple and what was going on there. Those that were the, the rulers who, and the scribes who taught them the word. And they asked the disciples, they pulled them before them. And they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? And Peter, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit, responded, explaining that the miracle was done in the name of Jesus... And it was according to his authority that they taught what they did. And they proclaimed the resurrection from the dead because they had seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And they would teach what they had been taught from Jesus. And so these these religious leaders had put them aside and said, hey, what are we going to do? You know, we can't deny that this man, he's been healed a, a, a very a uh, apparent miracle had happened. We can't hide any of that. Let's just threaten them that they shouldn't speak in the name of Jesus. And so they pulled him in and they threatened them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And the apostles respond they're like, "Well, sorry, you know, we can't listen to you because we serve a greater authority who has told us to go out and speak in the name of Jesus. God told them to and they can't help but speak the things that they had seen and they had heard. So they ended up threatening, further threatening them, and then Peter and John and the man are released. And it's noted by the Sanhedrin that the people were praising God and, uh, for what had been done. And that we saw that over 2,000 people had received Jesus and began to follow, were added to the church that day, to the fellowship of believers. And so we're picking up our, the, the, the passage today after they had been let go. And after being let go, they went to be with the rest of the disciples. And we see what they do and what happens next. And much of our lesson today will cause us to reflect on what we do when great difficulty threatens to keep us from doing what is right. Where do we go to whom do we turn? And we see that the disciples they they pray. They recognize who's in control of the situation and they ask for a response from him. We'll see how he answers it. The focus of our passage today is on prayer. Prayer in time of difficulty. It's also as Pastor Greg already somewhat iterated to you guys. Prayer is coming to God as his servants, not asking God to serve us. And it's seeing the full and utter dependence of the disciple upon the Holy Spirit to do the work. The power to do what he had called them to do and to speak in the name of Jesus. So let's look at our passage today starting in verse 23. It says, and being let go They went to their own companions. They went to their own, it says. They went to the other disciples. This was also set in contrast to those that were rejecting them, those that did not receive them. So they went to their own, their own uh, people who had followed Jesus. They went to be with those who had trusted Jesus as their Messiah, who were baptized. They shared in the baptism of the faith and repentance of their sins. They went to be with those that were receiving of the teaching of the apostles, listening to what Jesus had taught, going through the scriptures. These were those whom they fellowshiped with and who they shared food with, whom they prayed with regularly, those that they worshiped God with. This was who they went to be with those that had probably cared for their own needs out of their own expense, or vice versa. They went to the place where they had unity with others. And there's a sense of comfort that can be found in the company of other believers. That when things are, the world is crashing around us, that we need to go to those whose hope is in the same Lord and Savior as of us. To be encouraged. To be edified. We share belief and care and intimacy with others whose lives have been changed by God. And closely linked with our own. So that we can carry on in life. This is why the gathering together of the church is so important. Because life will come at us with difficulties, challenges, but it, and, and even in its joys, we can rejoice with others. And sometimes we might find that our church family is closer than our own families. That could be good or in a bad sense. Sometimes our families, are they don't know Jesus. And so we don't have that communion, that connection with them like we do with those of us of the church. Sometimes our families are distant. And we find that. The comfort of maybe a mother. Or somebody found in the church. Or the exhortation of a father. Found in the church. Because that's who God has linked us with. But we see that they went to their own. And they relayed the information. That they had received. All that Threatening that the religious leaders, the chief priests and the elders had had done to them. Telling them, hey, they're telling us not to to speak in the name of Jesus. And we can actually look back here a few verses, starting at verse 16 of chapter 4, to what those threats were. It's just uh, starting in verse 16, what shall we do to these men the chief priests and elders asked, For indeed a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we can we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. But because of the people, since they all glorify God for what had been done. See, difficulties, trials, tribulations, they affect us all. And there's not one person that will escape them. They may come in different forms for each person. But what we see the disciples going through is persecution at this moment. They spoke out in the name of Jesus, and they were told not to. So when they reported all these things to uh, their brothers and sisters in the Lord, and when they had heard these, these things, it says that they raised their voices to God. That was the immediate reaction to the threats. Let's pray. Let's call out to God. And as we look at their prayer today, we will see that it's shaped by a few things. One, the sovereignty of God. We'll see that their prayer is shaped by the word of God and by the power of God. The first part is shaped by the sovereignty of God. It says with one accord that they prayed in unity, that they called out, to the Lord. And through this trial that happened to Peter and John. And the lame man. Who I'm assuming is a part of their group now. After having had his life so changed. They all felt it. They recognized that even the threat that went directly at them. It was going to come upon them. Because not only were John and Peter called to preach the gospel but all who have received Jesus have been commissioned to go out to share that gospel so if it could happen to them it could happen to us so they all felt it and they all prayed in agreement together and they said Lord and Pastor Greg had exhorted you guys already this morning in this and I think that the Lord wanted us to hear it again Or else he wouldn't have had Pastor Greg share it already. This word Lord, when they first come to pray, they call out Lord and it's a specific word. It's the Greek word despota. It's where we get our word despot. A word that I had to look up because I'm still learning words. It means ruler or master. It was one that I wasn't familiar with. But it was one I hadn't heard before, but it means ruler or master or another person who holds absolute power. One who possesses supreme authority. The Greeks used it for the relation of a master to slaves or household servants. So they they saw that that the authority of the master is supreme. That servant did whatever they commanded. But this also means a lot to me, because when we look through this passage, we see the disciples would go on to pray, citing David as the Lord's servant, Jesus as the Lord's holy servant, and they themselves as the Lord's servants in this prayer. So they had a right category for their relationship with the Lord. Their prayer is shaped by this fact that God is the supreme authority over all creation. And that the disciples viewed themselves as the servants of God. This is important because so often as we are praying, our prayers are shaped by our own needs or our own desires for comfort in this life or the accomplishment of our own will. Lord, give me what I'm asking for, or fix this issue in my life. Those aren't bad things to pray for. We need to take all of those things and take them to the Lord. But is that the only thing that we're praying for? We can't be called a servant if all we're doing is asking Him to do what we are wanting. But prayer is first and foremost going before the Lord and asking for His will to be done. Remember when Jesus taught the disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the first thing that he directs them to pray. We even see Jesus, the holy servant, praying in the garden before his crucifixion. If If it's your will that this cup can pass for me but not my will but yours be done he knew he had to go to the cross and he it was wasn't something easy to go through in his humanity but he said in his perfect example for us not my will but your will be done Confessing the truth about God's relationship to our circumstances always brings encouragement, especially when we are aware of the danger and feel out of control. His power to answer their prayers is based on his authority, his master. He is master over all creation. You see, when they go on to pray here, that you are God who made heaven, earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, this was in the mind of the Jews, this was the whole cosmos. This was everything that God had created. The whole of God's ordered creation was contained in those three things. The heavens being the place where God dwells and rules, filled with other spiritual creatures that He made. Heaven also would represent. The the atmosphere, the place where the winged creatures would fly or dwell. But also, space, where we had the stars and the planets would give their light. And the earth, for the Jew, was more representative of the land. Not necessarily the earth as as a globe. But God, as we're told in Genesis chapter 1, that he created the lands and the sea and that he filled the land and the sea with plants and animal life. His greatness over all creation, the whole cosmos. He is greater than everything. This was the greatness of God whom they served. And these lines of praise to God as creator are echoed throughout Scripture. As men and women approach him in prayer and praise. Let's look at Psalm 46. It says, this is a psalm speaking of God's faithfulness to vindicate the oppressed. And he is greater than their opponents. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs and he returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Do you guys see even the echoes of what's happening? Knowing God's scripture, how how they're going to him as the supreme authority who has freed them from the oppression that they had just experienced, from the religious rulers, the the healing that was happening, they recognized their God as the supreme authority. And by taking out the perspective of the disciples, we as God's servants, we come to him as the supreme authority in our lives. Over all creation, a master who equips us for the task that he has called us to. No matter how difficult it is. But as we looked at this. The disciples were shaped by the scripture as well. They knew who their God was. And they went to him. As Lord, Master, Supreme Authority. And it says in verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. You see, they looked to the scriptures as God breathed, that God spoke these things. They understood that even though it was David who had wrote this psalm, that it was truly God who spoke through him. And Paul exhorts Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God or God-breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine, reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. They went to God's word and they reminded themselves and they saw that this was God foretelling of the things that would happen to Jesus. And as we look at it, it says, why did the nations rage and in the, in the people plot vain things? It's speaking of the rulers and the kings gathering against the Lord and his Christ or his anointed or Messiah. This, this scripture shaped their understanding of the present circumstances they were in. And the more that we know God's word, we can see clearly as to What is going on in our own lives? The disciples connected what David wrote to what happened with Jesus. Look at verse 27 here. It says, For truly against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They saw the fulfilling of this scripture, how the rulers and the kings were gathered together, represented, they made the connection with Herod and Pontius Pilate, rulers, and kings, that were coming against Jesus, the Messiah, how the nations, the word nations is used to describe Gentiles, or they would understand, and the Jew would understand it as the Gentiles, here in this context is the Romans and the peoples spoke of the Jews plotting against their Messiah. Against the Messiah. Scripture says that they were gathered against the Lord and his Messiah. But it was the scriptures that shaped how they viewed their present circumstances. They knew God was in control. He spoke of the Messiah being rejected before it even happened. A thousand years before, David spoke this pen these words under the inspiration of the holy spirit revealing that all of this all that jesus had went through and by seeing jesus going through this they knew it was coming for them that this was all part of god's plan that he the master over all creation was in control of all things speaking it before it happened they knew that if it happened to jesus the lord's holy servant that it would happen to them. They recognized that their current situation, the detaining in jail, the threats against them by the religious rulers, that it was expected for this to happen to them. Jesus taught them this in John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. If you went along with everything that the rulers and the scribes wanted you to, there'd be no problem, right? Yet because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. There's that servant master language again. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me.
1: They saw in Jesus
0: this fulfillment of this scripture here. And they, as Jesus's servants, as the Lord's servants, they were susceptible to the same treatment. And what this does to them is they provokes them to go to their master in prayer. Because through the scriptures, they understood that what was happening to them was by his permission and by his doing, just like it was in the life of Jesus. Because they saw their, light, their circumstances in the light of God's word, they could recognize that the wrath of man never operated outside of the sphere of God's control. These enemies of Jesus could only do whatever the hand of God allowed. I like that quote. That was from... Pastor David Gutzig. These enemies of Jesus could only do whatever God allowed. So what better place for the disciple to be but before the Lord, their Lord? You see, Jesus, as God's holy servant, suffered at the hands of both the Jews and the Gentiles, is what we're told. You see, Jesus... As God's holy servant is actually mentioned four times between chapters three and four. The Bible tells us that he took on the form of a servant. In Matthew 20, 28, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In John 8, 25, we see Jesus speaking from the place of a servant, a humble servant. It says that they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak uh, speak to the world the things which I heard from him. He's only relaying the message from the Father. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. Jesus, the Lord's holy servant, doing what the Father had sent him to do. And Paul, exhorting the Philippians in their conduct with one another, says, Let this mind be in you, which also... "...which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation," what? "...taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exal- also has highly exalted him." And given him the name which is above every name, that the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus mentioned as God's holy servant four times in our in our passage we've been studying over the past few weeks. And then we have David mentioned as the Lord's servant. David was described as a man after God's own heart. And David penning much of the Psalms, which would be prophetic in their nature, speaking of the coming Messiah. But the one that God chose to lead his people. He was God's servant in all that he did. But now we have the disciples also, later on in verse 29, describing themselves as the Lord's servants. Now, servant is mentioned here four times in this chapter four. And there's two different words that are actually being used to describe David and Jesus as servants, and how the disciples would speak of themselves as servants. You see, David and Jesus, the word is that's used is paidos. It's, it's a child, a man, a manservant or maidservant, or an attendant. So somebody that was attending their master. But the disciples, when they described themselves as, as servants, they used the form the word doulos. And it was a bond servant, a permanent slave, being altogether consumed by the will of another. That's how they describe themselves in relationship to, to the Lord. They too, as God's servants, were called to proclaim the message of Jesus. They were called to speak God's words to the world, to make disciples of all nations. And so this shaped their prayer. They went to their king, their authority, and gave their requests to him. It was also a way that they could describe themselves in their humility, speaking To their authority. Their superior. And they were shaped. We see in verses 29 through 30. By the power of God. It says. Now Lord look on their threats. And grant to your servants. That with all boldness. They may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders. May be done through the name. Of your holy servant. They start off this petition, this request to their Lord. And it's a different word about that than the first Lord that they cried out to. This is curios. It's master, its owner. It's different from how they began their prayer because when they started the prayer, it was in response to the threats they had received. They needed to go to the one who had all authority, all power, They needed to remind themselves of who was absolutely in control of what was going on in their lives. And we have to do that too, sometimes. Sometimes we have to slow down and say, Lord, you're in control of all things. And then, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? As my master, as my owner, as my my friend, my savior. It's different than how they began. But here, they were coming to him... With whose will they were absolutely consumed with. That piggybacks off of what Pastor Greg was sharing. I mean. That's what I was kind of expressing in my heart. During worship is. I'm picking these songs. Because I'm studying these wor- the word. And I, I would do that even when Pastor Greg was teaching. I would read what was there. And try to pick songs to correlate. But what was happening there. Was just kind of trying to capture the heart. Of the disciples. As they would come before the Lord. And you know, really searching my own heart, whether or not that exists. Am I coming to the Lord with such abandon, such submission to His will? Sometimes that is, it, we're called to be living sacrifices. Usually a sacrifice is dead, right? You know, living sacrifice, you got to keep putting it back up there. You know, you have to keep, you know, learn to sit still. It's It's just not, it's almost an oxymoron in some ways. But What it is, is that we're sacrificing, laying ourselves down for him to be his vessel, to be used by him. And they, now they were, they're facing opposition for doing so. And they say, Lord, look on their threats. Look on their threats. You see it all. You hear it all. We just expressed it to one another. What was said to us? They present the opposition to the Lord. We need to take these, these, these difficulties, these things we find ourselves in before the Lord. They told us not to speak in, in your name. And what do they ask? Lord, take it all away. We don't need this difficulty No, that's not what they said. They say, grant to your servants. They go to the master, they ask. They say, do it now. Give us boldness. Not take it away. Not relieve us of the pressure. Lord, grant to your servants boldness to speak your word. This was the same word boldness used by the Sanhedrin in in verse 13 of the same chapter. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Boldness, which meant frankness to speak the word as it is. Unencumbered, straightforward, freedom of speech. You see, Peter and John had defied the Sanhedrin, but all the same and all the more, they prayed for the courage, indeed, to live up to their brave words. That's what the boldness was. It's the courage granted by the Holy Spirit to continue on in what God has called us to do. It's not recklessness, like you're just willy-nilly going out shooting stuff off and whatever else, but it requires courage. You have to stand firm and what you know is right, to press on. They knew that they had to continue to get the message out, and they asked the Lord for boldness and courage to do so. They asked for him to support them, that he would stretch out his hand to heal, and that signs and wonders would be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus their requests for miracles, signs and wonders what they were really asking the lord to continue to do was to put his signature on their preaching and their teaching that he would get the glory and continue to display that it was in his name that they taught and preached it was for his glory not asking to just do miracles for the sake of their own glory but that they would that those who would contradict them or go or oppose them could be What we just saw, the Sanhedrin standing there, hey, we can't deny this. All we can do is say, you know, keep your mouth shut. They can't deny it. They're asking for God to stand by them in those ways. And we see the answer to their, their prayer in verse 31. What do we see here? And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. God answered it. The place where they were gathered was shaken. In, in, in Scripture, we see this, this quaking of the earth or the shaking of things as a, as a token of God's presence and power throughout Scripture. We see it in Psalm 114.7, Isaiah 2.19 and 21, and Hebrews 12.26. We see this shaking power of God's presence. It, It could have been a possible earthquake, or it just could have been that the place that they met in Shook. We're not sure what it looked like. But it does speak to the physical situation that occurred when the Holy Spirit moved. And we can remember seeing this echo back from... Uh, chapter 2, when the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the home that they were in. But we see that God was moving in their midst and that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're taught something here, right? That we need to be filled again and again. That it wasn't just one filling. This was actually the, the third time that, we're, that Peter is spoken of or uh, was a part of other instances where he was filled with the Spirit again. We must continually be filled with the Spirit to do what He has called us to do. This isn't something that begins by the Spirit and then goes and finishes in the flesh, right? I was reminded of of the Scripture, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And these were the Lord's words to Zerubbabel through the prophet Zechariah. And Zerubbabel had the responsibility of finishing the work of rebuilding the temple. And the work had stalled, and he needed a word from the Lord to keep going. And this was Zechariah's response to Zerubbabel not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Might spoke of the collective strength. He wasn't going to be able to gather up enough people to get the work done. And power spoke of the individual's strength. There was no power in and of himself to get this all done. But the work, it wouldn't be done through any strength or resource of man. But it would be a work of the Lord and by his spirit. And I saw this correlation here with this app that we could apply here: is The apostles were commissioned to spread the gospel and to make disciples. In a sense, building the new temple, the church of God but they were facing opposition a setback by the rulers and that this work wouldn't rely upon their own strength but it would rely upon their const or would co- only be done through their constant reliance upon the work of God to do it the holy spirit the power to do what he had called them to do we see the answer is the filling of the holy spirit The equipping from God for the work that he called us to do. And that's what happened here. They spoke the word of God with boldness. Telling it all is what that word boldness. Boldness, again, it's been used three times in this chapter. Boldness, boldness, boldness. Servant, servant, servant. We get the context, or we're getting the idea, right? That God's servants move in boldness by the power of his Holy Spirit. By the equipping of the master. It's truly something that we need from the Holy Spirit. To do what the Lord has called us to do. We need his empowering. Ephesians 5.15 says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine with its dissipation, but be, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. There's a few things described in that passage that Paul wants us to understand. One We're in the last days. We have a responsibility to redeem the time with the message that we have. Remember, this goes back to even chapter uh, 2. Where Peter is saying that this is the time to call upon the Lord. This is the day of salvation for those who call upon the name of the Lord. In the name of Jesus to be saved. It says that the days are evil. It says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. To seek it. To not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. It brings you under the power of another thing. It actually opens up to sin and other things that allow you to go away from the Lord. But being filled with the Spirit leads to the things that are godly. Leads to seeing Him move and act through your life. The literal phrasing here is, but be being filled with the Spirit. It's a constant thing. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. And then, I think that that the atmosphere in which the Spirit created was what even drew... The apostles back to their own companions at the beginning of our passage today. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That encouragement to keep going on through life in the difficulties. Singing, making melody to, in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. You see, this isn't something that we conjure up, but it's a work that God does in us. He is the source, not us. To conclude, the life of the early disciples was shaped by a few things that we looked at this morning. An understanding and a belief in God's sovereignty over all of our lives. The scriptures shaped how they understood what was happening in their lives. But it also, they were shaped by their understanding for the need, for the power of the Holy Spirit, for the work that the Lord had called them to do. They knew where the power was and what their need was. I think it's interesting that this is the scripture that we We end on this prayer for boldness as we're about to head out this week, this next week. I say we because I'm part of the team into Honduras. But you guys also are being sent out, right? God has you where he wants you. He has you where he has placed you for a reason to speak about him to those around you. But... Reminded even more so as we go out as a team to Honduras. In the name of the Lord, that we need his strength and his direction, his empowerment to be bold in our witness for him there as much as we do here. And so we're going to have the the missions team come forward. That's going to be going out. If you guys can come up here in the front. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for the Lord to fill us with boldness. Recognizing that we need the Holy Spirit to do what he's called us to do.